So we're going to focus on uh, the first two verses of the uh, 12th chapter. And as we come to chapter 12, we come to the word therefore, which uh, forces us to to look back uh, to what the author has been saying. And all all the way through the letter, as I've pointed out many times, um, there's the... uh, there's the, the encouragement to persevere. That's really the big um, message of this epistle to the Hebrews because these Hebrew believers in Jesus, they were wavering. Uh, they had uh, started well, and even in the early days of their uh, newfound relationship with the Lord, they'd suffered uh, very, various forms of persecution, and they they handled it very well. They, he says in chapter 10 that they accepted joyfully the spoiling of their goods. And um, they, they were able in the early days just to, you know, kind of um, just easily uh, pass through the, the persecution and things like that. Um, and yet now, uh, sometime later, as, as time has passed and, and new difficulties and challenges have arisen, they're now wavering. And they're now considering uh, turning back, turning away from the Lord. So the, the epistle, as we pointed out many times, is a, it's a, a warning, really, and a series of exhortations for them not to do that. So in the 11th chapter, as you remember, he's given us a whole... Uh, list of examples of people who had uh, persevered by faith, and in persevering by faith, they received the blessing of God, and they inherited the promises of God, and even if their circumstances on earth uh, never really uh, turned out for the better, they had an enduring hope in heaven, and they trusted in that, and so picking up in the, the 12th chapter, the, the great uh, cloud of witnesses that he's referring to are all of those that he's spoken of in the 11th chapter. People like Noah, people like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and uh, David and Moses and, and all of these people that he's mentioned and then others that he didn't mention them by name, but he just kind of gave a little bit of uh, background on their particular story. So since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, endurance is the word that he uses over and over for them. Perseverance, patience, endurance. So he's calling them to endure. You know, to endure means that you, you keep going in the midst of difficult circumstances. You keep going despite maybe the pain or the opposition. You, you don't give up. You, you keep pressing forward. And that's what he's saying to them, that you would, uh, that you would um, endure, but he likens our relationship to the Lord uh, to a race. So he uses the analogy, let us lay aside uh, every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
So running a race, that's the picture. We're running a race. So let us lay aside every weight. You know, if you're running a race, you want to uh, you want to be unencumbered. You don't want to have something that's going to slow you down. You, you don't want to have something that's going to impede your, uh, your progress. You, you want to strip yourself of those things. And so that's what he's saying to us. Uh, in the, the race of faith, the, the Christian life, he says that we are to lay aside the weights. Now, weights are things that are not necessarily sins, but they're impediments, they're, they're hindrances, they're things that um, are slowing us down. You know, using the picture of a race, Paul uses this, this example uh, more than once. Paul, uh, you know, spoke about his own race. He fought the good fight, he finished the race. Uh, in writing to the Corinthians in the ninth chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, those who run in a race, everyone runs, but only one receives the prize. And then he says, run so that you may obtain it. So using the analogy of a race, what we're to be doing as believers is we're to be running uh, without hindrance. We're to be enduring. We're to be seeking to win the race. We're in a race, we're in a battle. The battle is against our flesh. The battle is against uh, the, the devil. The battle is, in some ways, it's against time that's working against us. We've only got a certain uh, amount of time. And so we need to make the best of every moment. And if there's something that's slowing us down, if there's something that's holding us back, and it could be any number of things, you know, over the years, there, there have been different things that God has uh, put his finger on in, in my own life that weren't sinful things, but they were just impediments. They were things that were slowing me down. And occasionally, the Lord would just, you know, show me something like, you know, Brian, you're spending way too much time on this. The time you're spending on this is distracting you from the valuable time that you could spend in serving me or seeking me or preparing for, uh, you know, more effective service or, you know, whatever the case might be. And so I've had to, at times, just kind of, you know, take some personal inventory and say, okay, these things are weights. These things are holding me back. They're slowing me down. All of us are going to have to do that occasionally because we want to be stripped down. We don't want any um, unnecessary hindrances. You know, over the past few years, I've, I've done a little bit of running myself. And, you know, occasionally I will see people running um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll notice the way they're, they're dressed and I'll think, wow, that just seems so uh, cumbersome, <laughs> what, you know, what they're wearing. I, I would not you know, I would not go for a run dressed like I'm dressed right now. Sometimes I see people running, they're not dressed all that much differently than I am right now. And I think, wow, either that's dedication or that's, uh, I don't know what else it might be. It's, it's <laughs> a desperation. It's like, why is that person dressed like that running? And, and they're really running because I look and they have jogging shoes on. So, okay, they're, they're actually doing it. But you know, when I go for a run, I want to make sure that I am, uh, every, everything's as light as possible. 
And so that's what he's saying. So we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, or the picture here is that the sin is the thing that's gonna trip us up. And of course, I mean, it almost seems like it should go without saying that we don't want to allow sin to have any dominance in our lives. But, you know, sometimes we tolerate certain sins. Sometimes we give place to certain sins, but those things are the things that trip us up. He says, no, we've, we've got to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. As I've said before, the Christian life is a long-distance race. It's a long-distance race. It's a long haul. It's through, from the time you receive Christ, it's all the way through to the end, to the rest of your life, however long that might be. But the important thing and the thing that's emphasized over and over and over again in this epistle especially, but you find it other places in the scripture, is the necessity of continuing to the end. And so in order to do that, we have got to run with endurance. And having reminded us of the the people from the past who all of them are an inspiration to us and an example to us. You know, as we look back over the people that he mentioned, as we look at the life of Abraham or as we looked at the life of of Moses or, uh, you know, David or Daniel or whoever it might have been, uh, we we see in them, okay, here are examples of people who uh, persevered and endured through faith. But there's one great example that he saves for now to, to remind us of. And the great example is Jesus looking unto Jesus. You know, if we're going to succeed in this race, if we're going to endure to the end, we're only going to do it if we keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. How many times have I had to remind myself, man, I have got to get my eyes off of this and I have got to get my eyes on the Lord. Because if I'm not looking to Jesus and I'm looking at the circumstance, I'm going to faint. I'm going to lose heart. I'm going to be tempted to drop out of the race. I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus and I can't tell you how many times I've had to share that same reminder with people. The problem is that we get our eyes off the Lord. Now, there's a number of things that he says here about Jesus. He says that he is the author and the finisher of of our faith, or he is the source and the perfecter is another translation. And I want to come back and look at that, but I want you to see, as he's talking about endurance, he shows us people who endured from the Old Testament. He tells us several times that we need to endure, but now he speaks of the endurance of Jesus. Notice what it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, One of the reasons why we need to look to Jesus is because he has gone through this and he has gone through it for our benefit. When it says that he endured the cross, it it says that he did that for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that 
that drove Jesus to endure the cross? Well, I think it was twofold. It was the joy of pleasing the Father because it was God's will for him to do this. But secondly, it was the joy of saving you and me so that we could enjoy eternal fellowship with him. You know, here's something that we can never forget when we go through hardship, when we go through challenges, when we go through trials, when we even perhaps go through persecution because of our faith. We can never forget that we are enduring these things not for a creed or not for some philosophy or ideology. We endure these things for a person who did this for us. We can't forget that. We can't lose sight of that. And this is what's happened with these people. They've lost sight of Jesus. They're looking at themselves. They're looking at their circumstances. And maybe they're, they're looking at their, um, their lives spiritually in more of a religious type of a sense. And maybe they're just saying, hey, you know, this, this new religion that we've got, this isn't worth it. We're going to go back to the old religion. Well, at the end of the day, if all you have is a religion, then you will walk away from it. It's got to be more than a religion. And it is. It's a person. We're committed to a person, and it's a person who was committed to us, a person who endured for our benefit, endured the cross. Think for, for a moment with me about the things that Jesus endured. Well, it tells us in, um, in the third verse, it says that he endured hostility from sinners against himself. I mean, you look at the life of Jesus through the Gospels, and you find that over and over again, he is being resisted and opposed by sinful men, by wicked men. They're opposing him, they're resisting him, they're plotting against him, they're seeking to kill him, and this is the, the treatment that he received at the hands of uh, those that he came to save. So he endured that hostility of, from sinners against himself. But then think of what he endured as he actually went to the cross in those last few days. Think of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. There in the garden, we are told that Jesus, he, you remember, he, it was there that he said to the Father, he said, Father, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, then may it be so. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you know, some have thought, and I think it, it is true, that it was there in the Garden of Gethsemane for the, the first time that Jesus, he got a glimpse into the, he had a, a taste of the suffering that was to come. Because it was there in the Garden of Gethsemane that he, for just a moment, as a man, he recoiled. He, he drew back from it. And it's almost as though God had brought him to uh, the threshold of this suffering and allowed him to peer over and to look into what was going to happen over the next, you know, 24 hours. And, and it was there that Jesus said, oh, Father, if, if this can pass from me. And it the, 
the emotional anguish and suffering was so intense that Luke tells us that at that moment he was sweating as it were great drops of blood. They say that under certain forms of pressure, intense pressure, that the capillaries will break and the blood will mingle with the sweat. And that's what was happening with Jesus. He said at this point, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. But then he asked this question, but what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour. No, it was for this hour that I've come into the world. Father, glorify yourself. And so the suffering of Jesus there in the garden. And then we know what happened in the garden. He was arrested in the garden. And then he was taken and he was uh, falsely tried and condemned and he was brutalized. He was beaten and he was mocked and he was spit upon and he was blasphemed. And then finally, he was crucified. And crucifixion was such a horrific form of death that the Roman uh, statesman would uh, require that there be a law that no Roman citizen should ever see crucifixion or even hear the term. It was so horrific that the, that the, the whole idea of crucifixion, Cicero said, should be kept from the, the eyes and the ears of the citizens of Rome. And it was indeed a most brutal and horrific form of death. And this is what Jesus endured. He endured the cross and he despised the shame and then the shame involved in it. You know, it's common knowledge that criminals crucified were stripped completely naked and there's no reason to think that Jesus wasn't stripped completely naked because part of the the uh, intention was to utterly humiliate the person and, and obviously to strike complete fear in the hearts of people if they ever fought for a moment to rebel against the Roman authorities. But they would strip the person completely naked and there they would be publicly displayed before the world. Jesus endured that. He despised that shame of being humiliated in that way. He despised the shame. The only uh, son of God, the holy son of God is now numbered with the transgressors. He's, He's reckoned among the sinners. He's seen by everybody to be a criminal. Why did he do all of that? He did it for the joy that was set before him the joy of saving us. And so you see, when we go through hard times and we're tempted to draw back, the author says, no, look to Jesus. Remember him. Look to him. And he refers to him as the author and as the finisher of our faith. So he calls us to to look to Jesus as the author or the source, or you could translate the word the pioneer. You know, a pioneer is a person who paves the way for others to come later. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus paved the way for us. And so we're to look to Jesus in the sense that he's our example. When, when we face suffering, when we face 
challenges and, and these kinds of difficulties and even persecutions, we're to look to Jesus. He's our example. But he's, our, he's the pioneer. He's the one who went before us in all of this. But you know, the, the wonderful thing about Jesus is it's not that he simply went before us in the sense that he carved the way, you know, he, he pioneered the path, and then he, he stands on the other side of it bidding us, okay, you know, come on, you can make it. But you know what he does? Having blazed the trail, so to speak, for us, he comes back to where we are, and he takes us, and he walks us along the path himself. So it's not just you know, looking to him only as an example in the sense that he's, um, you know, he's done this so we can just take inspiration from that. We can do that, but it's more than that. Because he's not only our example, but he's also the one who supplies us with the very strength we need to pass through these things. You see, when we look to Jesus... We are strengthened by him. That's the idea. We look to him, we remember what he did, but it's also inspirational, not just in the sense that, uh, you know, wow, I want to be like that. It is that, but it's more than that because there's a supernatural strength that, that he provides for us. We're serving the living Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for us. And so he gives us the strength that we need. You know, the last thing we should ever do, but we do it far too frequently, is when we find ourselves in trouble, we, we turn away from the Lord, the only one who can help us, the very source of our strength. We so often turn away from him. Uh, a lady after the first service this morning, she said, you know, thank you, because your, your message today was very confirming, because she said, I have had a history in my life of whenever I face trouble, I turn my back on the Lord. She said, I don't stop believing in him, but I just, I just turn my back on him. I don't look to him to help me. And she said, God had been speaking to me about that, that I haven't been doing you know, this thing the right way. And she said, thank you for your word today because it confirmed to me what God's been telling me. But how is it that we do that? When trouble comes so often, the response is to turn away. That's what these people were doing. They should have been looking to Jesus. He shouldn't have to tell them to do that. They, that's what they should have been doing, but they weren't. It's a human tendency quite often for us to do that. So we need to be reminded, we need to look to Jesus. He's the author of our faith. And remember what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's the same thing that we're being told here. Listen, God is faithful. And whatever it looks like right now, know this, that that Jesus, he, he's the author, he's the finisher. He's gonna finish what he started. You know, why do we sometimes turn away from him in our hearts? Because we somehow think that, well, he, he's abandoned me. He's let me down. The Lord's not around. I mean, how many times have we felt like that? You know, it is true. There is this thing that does happen sometimes where when we enter into some sort of crisis, there, emotionally sometimes we feel like God is not there. 
But you see, this is where faith comes in. This is where faith is necessary to believe that God is there despite the fact that I don't feel his presence at this time. And this is where, by faith, we have to lay hold of these kinds of promises that he is the author as well as the finisher. And even though I don't feel or I I can't see how it's going to work out right now, that by faith, I trust that he who has begun this good work is going to complete it. You know, we've heard a lot in recent days about persecution. And still, to a large degree, obviously, persecution is, is over there. It's somewhere else. I mean, we, you know, we have our own forms of it, but nothing to the degree that we're hearing about um, you know, through reports, through the news, or whatever. We're hearing about you know, these horrific things that are happening. And I, I think... What we tend to do is when we hear about those things, and I know we do because I mentioned it previously that, uh, you know, somebody called with, you know, they were up, upset about these reports and they were saying, you know, I, I don't know, my faith is shaking because I, I, you know, I just don't understand why God is allowing these things to happen. And as we look at these things from a distance, we are perplexed. And we don't understand. And we think that somehow, wow, God, you know, it seems like God's abandoned these people because look what's happening with them. But you know, it's really interesting what their perspective is versus ours. We're at a distance looking on. They're in the middle of it. I'll, I'll tell you what their perspective is, many of them. I was talking to uh, David Guzik this past week, and David, along with uh, John and um, a number of guys from uh, our fellowship, they've been in uh, Turkey, they've been in Iraq, they, they went on to the Ukraine. And um, David was telling me that when they were in Iraq, they were talking to the spiritual leaders there. And he said, you know, he said, it's amazing because they said when all of this persecution initially broke out, their first reaction to it was, God, why are you letting this happen? And God stopped this from happening. But you know what he said that they said now? They said, you know, we're no longer praying that God would stop the persecution because we've come to realize that it's through this that God is doing something so profound and something so deep and something so powerful that we've never even seen before. We realize that we, you know, we have to just trust him through it because he's using this to bring about an awakening in the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And you know, this is the kind of thing that happens over and over again. And that's just a current example of how it is happening in our day. Persecution, suffering, difficulty, just like these uh, early Christians were enduring, but they're realizing, no, God's using it. God's at work. And so when we think of Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, he's the one who started the work and the finisher, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's our example. He's the one who supplies us with the strength. And we need to remember he's faithful. You know, God 
does not stop halfway through a project. God doesn't quit. God doesn't start something and not finish it. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> you know, as humans, we, we do that a lot of times, don't we? We start something, we're so excited about it, we're well-intentioned, man, this is great, and then, you know, at some point, we just kind of lose interest, or we get distracted, or we run out of resources, or whatever the case, but, you know, there it is. We, we never finished the project. But, you know, you'll never find a single project in all of history, anywhere in the universe, that you look at and go, what's that? Oh, uh, you know, God started that, but he just decided it wasn't worth it. <laughs> He figured he just, you know, he just moved on to something else. <laughs> yeah, by the way, that, that was Pastor Brian. I remember him from the 20th century. Yeah, God just... No, he's, he's not going to do that. He is the author and the finisher. He's faithful. And he's reminding them, and I'm reminding us of this great truth. He that has begun the good work, he, he's begun the work, right? God has worked in your life. He's worked in your heart. But suddenly you've come up against something unexpected. You've come up against something that doesn't make sense maybe. You've come up against something that causes you to question, wait, well, you know, what's going on, God? I, I thought that because I was a Christian, none of this kind of stuff could happen. Well, look at what happened to Jesus. And if, if Jesus endured such hostility from sinners against himself, if Jesus endured the cross, then, of course, there really isn't anything that, uh, you know, might not happen to us. But in all of those things, whatever they are, as Paul would remind us in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And as Paul would say, that he was persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor um, things, things past or present or future, uh, you know, nothing created could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ or nothing you could, e you could even, um, you know, just reword that to say that nothing is going to stop God from fulfilling his plan and purpose in the lives of those that he has begun to work in. So that's the great promise that he's giving to those who are discouraged, those who are losing heart, those who are thinking about perhaps turning back. He says, no, this is the way forward. The way forward is to look to Jesus. And so for us today, for you today, for anyone today who finds themselves in that place of trial, that place of suffering, that place maybe of persecution or something like that, the answer is to look to Jesus. Remember what he did for us. Remember that this isn't about just a mere religion. It's not just about a creed. It's not a, a religious philosophy. There's a, there's a living person who trod this path before us and is with us today to walk us through ultimately to glory. 
That's where it will all end. And we've got to keep our eyes fixed on that. Our eyes fixed upon Jesus, who has gone now to, um, you know, he's, he's gone through the process and he's gone to glory. And he's a reminder to all of us that that is where we are headed as well. And so we look to Jesus, keeping at the forefront of our minds that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you know that today? Do you know in your heart, Lord, I I know you began to work in me and I'm gonna trust you right now. You're gonna complete it. You're gonna bring me through whatever it is and you're gonna bring me out the other side and, and it's gonna be glory. You know, like I said, the temptation for these people was to draw back and the temptation even for us today sometimes is to draw back but that's not what we're to do. We're not to draw back, we're to press in. That's the difference. Don't draw, don't pull away from Jesus, press into Jesus. That's the picture. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, I wanna close by reading this to you. And, and this passage is personal because it, it ministered to me many times over the years. But it it tells us that very thing. And here, the question is asked, who among you fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, yet walks in darkness and has no light? Man, this, this passage spoke so powerfully to me at a certain season in my life because I felt like this, this described me. I fear the Lord. I, I obey the voice of his servant, but, but I'm walking in darkness. I, I, can't, I can't make sense of anything. It's so perplexing. There's no light. Where's God? I can't, I can't see him in any of this stuff. None of it makes any sense. But you know what it says? It says for that person, it says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. And that, that term rely there, it means to lean with all of your weight upon God. I love that picture. You're in the dark. You're going through a hard time. You're confused. You're perplexed. What do you do? You press into Jesus. You take all of your weight, all of your own weight and the additional weight of the burdens that you're bearing over these things and you just lean upon him with all of that. And guess what? He'll bear you up. He will strengthen you. So we look to Jesus. We lean upon him. We press into him, remembering that he started this work and he's faithful. He's gonna complete it. He's gonna get us where he intends us to be and that is ultimately to glory. So Lord, we thank you for that. We take heart and courage from that today. And Lord, we thank you for your instruction to us that we are to look to you. 
And Lord, I think of that passage also in Isaiah where you, you spoke and you said, look to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. And Lord, that's not just uh, an invitation for salvation in the sense that we normally think of it, but it's salvation in the sense of deliverance from the afflictions and the sufferings and the perplexities and the persecutions. So Lord, we do that today. We look to you. And Lord, we thank you that when we look to you, we're not looking to an indifferent person who has no ability to really understand what we're going through. But Lord, as we've already read in Hebrews here, that you were in all points tested as we are. And Lord, that you endured. You call us to endure. And you know what that is because you endured the cross for us. So help us, Lord, to look to you today, to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Help us, we pray. Amen.